and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Well, hey, grab your Bibles. Uh, if you got them, open up your uh, Version app, whatever you're going to do there. Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we'll start in verse 1. We'll read about 10 verses in Matthew chapter 5 as we Dig into this new series, Kingdom Culture. How many knows that's the life that God's called us to live is a kingdom lifestyle, right? It's not optional. It's what we're called into. And so we're going to learn what it looks like. How do we do this? What is kingdom life? And how do, we, how, do we, uh, how do we dig into that? How do we live according to what Jesus calls us to live? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And uh, I want to encourage you to grab a notebook or something. If you've got a piece of paper, you'll want to take notes today. Man, is it just really foggy in here today, or is that just me? Jeez, <clears throat> lots of fog. Yeah, grab a notebook, grab a pen, uh, take some notes today. One of the most practical things that you can do to actually um, leave church with something you didn't come with is to just write something down. Why do we do that? So that you can remember it. Sometimes we like, oh, that was good, that was good, that was good, that was good, and we walk out the doors and we're like, what was that again? right? But if you write it down, it can go deeper than if you don't write it down. Very practical. Take some notes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Are you ready? Come on, church. Are you awake? Let's do this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, okay? The Sermon on the Mount. There's no real other reason why it's called that except that it was on a mountain, okay? And after he sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to speak and he taught them. So here's his teaching. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Hey, let's pray today, and then we'll dive into these eight values for a few minutes. God, thank you so much. Lord, we, uh, we've prepared for this moment because we want to host your presence. Lord, so bring us past presentation and into presence past entertainment, God, and into a real God encounter, which is what these moments are all about. Let it be more than information, God, but bring us into your heart. And Holy Spirit, we're asking you to have your way today. Only you can produce fruit that remains so that people would leave uh, with more than just a bunch of information, but that they would leave actually a little bit more in love with Jesus than they were before. And that's what we're asking today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Slap your neighbor a high five like you're not scared of COVID or something like that. Well, again, happy summer day, everybody. Um, how many's gone to the lake already? Anybody? Lake, camping, hiking, nobody? You guys just sit at home and watch Netflix or what? Floating on the river, all the things. Summer is fun and it's here. Now, if there was one uh, complaint about summer that I had to lodge, it would be the bugs. Anybody not like the bug situation? Uh, one bug really in particular, the fly. Oh, the devil is a liar. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys can remember if you've been in Republic for a few years, like it was maybe two, three summers back. 
Not an exaggeration to say that Republic was in the middle of an Old Testament quality plague with all the flies. Anybody remember? That was a couple summers ago. There was so many flies. It was unbelievable. You'd kill one and it was like six would take it, it takes its place. They just kept coming and they were everywhere. You're in the car, they're in the house, they're on the back deck. Like every Sunday we'd come together and I don't remember Pastor Chad was up here and there'd be like flies like buzzing him in the lights up here. You remember that? It was literally unbearable. So one day, you know, I, I had to just say enough is enough. I'm going to take my life back. I'm going to declare war on these flies. And how do I do that? Well, the answer is Jojo. Jojo is our middle son. He's our outdoorsman. You know, he asked for his first pocket knife when he was like three. We got him his first Red Rider when he was four. All you really have to do is draw a target on it, and the kid's going to shoot at it till he hits it. That's just who he is. This is the answer to our fly problem. Now, the only thing left to do is figure out how to turn it into a game. Come on, where's all the dads at out there? Little dad uh, pro tip as we move into fly season in the Republic, you can turn killing flies into a game that will last all summer long for your kids by putting an electric fly swatter slash bug zapper into their hands. Kind of like this. Check this video out. <laughs> What are you doing, Joe? Ow! Oh. Yep. What are you doing, Joe? Oh, watch it again. It's better the second time. Ow! Oh. Just a normal day in the Ron household, right? Welcome to the jungle. But there really is something significant about a clear target, right? Especially when it comes to our walk with God. There's this sense of confidence that really comes when we're sure that we're like not aiming in the dark, but we have a clear focus for what God wants for us and what he wants from us. This is the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll be looking at again for the next eight weeks as a community. This is our target as Jesus followers, Matthew chapters five through seven. It's been dubbed the Sermon on the Mount. And it gives us the overall sense of what God wants in his interaction with us, his people. It's a big deal. It's the most concise. It's the most precise presentation of what God wants in terms of kingdom life. In other words, it's the clearest description that we can find of what a kingdom lifestyle looks like. The Sermon on the Mount. It is the premier roadmap to kingdom living, which is, by the way, the lifestyle that Jesus has called each of us to pursue and walk in as believers. We want to be aiming at the same target God's aiming at, right? And the Sermon on the Mount is that target. Look no further. Uh, one biblical scholar, he called the Sermon on the Mount the constitution of the kingdom. That's awesome, right? What Jesus lays out in these three chapters in Matthew, it's the most comprehensive statement on how a believer is to cooperate with the grace of God. The Sermon on the Mount is grace teaching. And the grace of God, church, it's not static, it's dynamic, it's not neutral. It's functional. In other words, we are called to respond 
and cooperate with God's grace. Jesus, he did everything necessary for us to have an increased experience. Now we have to respond and cooperate so we actually do have an increased experience. You might want to write this phrase down. God responds to our responses to him. Right? Yes, grace is freely given. That is the grace message, but it's only half of the grace message. The other half of the grace message is that we are called to cooperate with God in order to experience it. And I think the church, we get stuck in that first half, but there is a second half. And if we teach you the first half, the grace of God is free. You don't have to do anything to get it or earn it, which is true. But if we only talk about that, we become in danger of falling into presumption. And if we teach the second half, you have to cooperate with the grace of God. Without the first half, grace is free. Then we get in danger of falling into legalism. We don't want either of those. We refuse the distorted grace message that gives us one half of the story. We're going to be a church that puts both halves together so that we can experience the fullness of God's amazing grace. Yes, it's free, but yes, we also have to cooperate with it to experience it. We're called to participate in this glorious grace that God has given us. As a matter of fact, you will never find a presentation in the New Testament of the grace of God that is not connected to the disciplines that cooperate with that grace. There's two halves. Yes, grace is free, but our experience of that grace requires cooperation. And as we realign ourselves and we position ourselves to be more than spectators in the grace of God, but we're actually act active participants, when we begin to participate, the benefits and the beauty of that grace are able to increasingly touch our mind and transform our emotions and bring us into glorious unity with the grace of God that he is freely pouring out. I'm just going to teach you a little bit today. It's okay? The Sermon on the Mount, it is the most practical set of instructions on how we can engage God's grace. Like, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. So, we opened up the first 11 verses of this incredible kingdom teaching by Jesus, okay? And within the first 11 verses, we find eight virtues called, anybody know? The Beatitudes, right? Eight virtues that God is calling us to cultivate, lean into, develop, and grow in as we continue to grow in our walk with God. And tied to each one of these eight virtues is a blessing. Come on, how many likes blessings? Come on. Tied to each one of these is a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who, are, who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake. Hashtag blessed. Except, except the biblical idea for the word blessed probably doesn't fit very well into the gospel of the American dream. That has become primarily about God blessing our external circumstances. 
For example, if my bank account's in the black, I'm blessed. And if I got two cars in the garage that are paid for, I'm blessed. And if I got a gorgeous wife, a four-bedroom home, and more followers on Instagram than the Pope, I'm blessed. Hashtag blessed. But when we read the Bible, and when, he talk, and when the Bible talks about that word blessed, it actually has very little to do with our external circumstances. Although that's part of it, that is way down the list. But we want to put it up here. And I'm like you. I like God blessing my external circumstances like the next guy. But that is very little to do with the word blessed. When the Bible uses the word blessed, it's primarily talking about a vibrant spirit or a heart that is alive and positioned to increasingly, increasingly experience the activity of the Holy Spirit. Which means you might have a fat bank account, a thriving business, two cars in the garage, a lake house, and win friends and influence people. But if your spirit is dull, you're not blessed in the economy of the kingdom, you're actually bankrupt. Ooh. God's calling us, beloved, out of spiritual dullness and into a thriving spirit, out of spiritual boredom and compromise and apathy and into a kingdom lifestyle where we are walking with a vibrant heart that is in tune with the activity of the Holy Spirit. That's who we're called to be. And the way we get there, how do we get there? The way we get there is these eight virtues. That's our roadmap, beloved. These eight Beatitudes aren't just what we're supposed to do, it's who we're supposed to be. We're blessed when we embrace these eight things. And I can't speak for anybody else in this room, but I want a heart that's tender and sensitive and alive to the movement and the activity and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When he's speaking, I want to actually be able to hear what he's saying. And when he's moving, I want to be able to move with him. And when I want to recognize those subtle impressions and those faint promptings of his leadership, when God walks into the room, I want to be aware and conscious of him. Let's not settle for less when God has given us a clear roadmap to the best. Sermon on the Mount, that roadmap. Our hearts, you want to experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? you will experience more of Holy Spirit's ministry as you embrace and lean into these eight virtues. We're blessed when we do these eight things. So, no way we're going to get into all eight of these today, okay? So just a uh, deep sigh of relief. But I do want to challenge you over the next week, you know, divert your, your regularly scheduled devotional programming and get into Matthew 5, 1 through 11. And just camp out there for a week. And just look at those Beatitudes and pray into those Beatitudes and say little phrases like, Holy Spirit, show me more. Thank you for these eight virtues and the blessing connected. Holy Spirit, help me to lean into them. If you'll say small phrases like that, how many knows Jesus will answer prayers according to his will? He wants to answer these prayers but we just have to connect with him and cooperate with the grace. And so read over them, pray over them. But I do want to look at the first one. The first beatitude, which is actually the foundational beatitude. Jesus put it first because 
it, there's a reason why. It's first in importance. It's foundational. So when we cultivate this first one, the seven kind of fall into line a little bit easier. But if we miss this first virtue, the other seven are going to be really hard to cultivate with any kind of consistency, okay? So Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the, we have that verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are you when you feel your spiritual poverty, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice a blessing and a promise. You're blessed when you feel your spiritual poverty, and when you feel your spiritual poverty, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Is, present tense. Interesting to note that if you read most of the Beatitudes, it say, you shall. You shall. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. It's future tense. This is the only one that's present tense. Okay? So, taking notes. We're going to look at what does it mean to be poor in spirit. Like, what does that actually mean? What is that? How do we do that? What does it mean? All right? So, poverty in spirit. Before we do that, Anybody else ever had that feeling like something's missing? Anybody? Anybody ever had that? You can, just, you can raise your hand in church. It's okay. Like, you know, home alone when she's on the plane, she's like, Kevin, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? Can't quite put your finger on it. Like, I don't know if I left the garage door open or what, but you just can't shake that feeling that something's off. You know, we've all kind of had that. So in 2020, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with our family story, as a family of six, uh, we spent the year studying, traveling across America with a missions movement called YWAM, Y-W-A-M, Youth with a Mission, it's an acronym. So when we weren't traveling and studying, we were living on a missions base in Florida in our camper, six people, okay? It was awesome. This is, remember, youth with a mission. So on this missions base, there's hundreds of college-age students from all over the world, and they're doing the same thing that we were doing as a family. They were giving their yes to Jesus. They were living by faith. They were pursuing the Great Commission, and on and on, except that these college students lived in the dorms on base. We lived in the camper. They lived in the dorms. We literally saw our two older boys only when they were hungry and it was time for bed, okay? Other than that, they were hanging out in the dorms with all the college people right? They were living the college dream and they're teenagers. It was awesome. These college guys and girls, like they brought them in as, as just part of the team. It was, it was really cool. They made them a part of everything. And it was really good for our boys to be a part of, you know, the lives of other students from across the globe who were given everything they had to Jesus. Okay. All that to say, nevertheless, they were still college kids. Come on. Anybody remember how you were in college? Yeah. Don't raise your hand which means late nights, trying to find something to do. Recipe for disaster, and look who it is, Jojo and Elijah, the two boys who will literally do anything for $10, okay? Including letting a bunch of college guys do this. Check this out. Here. I was freezing. Hi, Zion. Show me all. Oh. Hi, Jojo. <laughs> Show me yours. <laughs> Here. I was freezing. <laughs> for $10. You imagine, look at your neighbor and tell him there's something missing. Come on, tell him. Something missing. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to have a poor spirit? And how do we cultivate this foundational beatitude? In one sentence, a poor spirit means that we are poverty stricken in a spiritual sense. In other words, we see our great need. We recognize something is missing spiritually. And God has more for us than what we're currently experiencing. And in our greatest efforts, and on our best and brightest day, we will never be able to get to the more. And in and of ourselves, we'll never be able to experience it without God's help. It takes God to know God. That's the idea. Now, can I build on this for a minute? Jesus has provided each and every one of us a wealth of spiritual treasure in the grace of God. Okay, it's 2 Peter 1 to you. God has given us everything. Everybody say everything. God has given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness. Everything. It has freely been provided and fully given because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the essence of the good news. And so the day we're born again, Jesus says to us, this wealth, this treasure of riches and glory, it's yours, all of it. Now I want you to seek me with all your heart. And I want you to respond to me so that you can experience the wealth of grace I've made available in your thoughts, emotions, in your life, and in your ministry to other people. It's yours. It is yours. But you have to press into God to access what's already available. A person who is poor in spirit says, I see how great the wealth is. I see how glorious the riches are that are available to me. And I also see how little I'm actually experiencing in my emotions and in my thoughts and in my life. We're poverty stricken in our experience compared to the measure that's available. A poor in spirit, poor in spirit is an awareness of the deficiency. You see the gap. Okay, but not just seeing the gap, a poor in spirit person sees the gap, has an awareness of the deficiency and says, it's not okay. It is not okay. There is this holy urgency in people that have a poverty, uh, the spirit, uh, uh, the poor, a poor spirit, a holy urgency and willingness. I will pay whatever price. Whatever I have to do to arrange my life to close that gap, if I have to change the way I spend my time, I'll change it. If I have to change the way I spend my money, I'll do that. If it's relationships or attitudes or priorities, whatever I need to rearrange to have more of God, nothing is off limits. I just want more of God. That's a poor spirit. You want to think of it in uh, two technical terms, and I'm getting pretty teacher on you today, but... This is so important, church. Two technical terms. It might be easier to think of it. It would be our legal position and our living condition. Okay, you guys with me? Okay. Our legal position as sons and daughters of the living God is we have God's grace. 
completely and fully available to us. It's completely paid for. The work on the cross is ours. It's all there, but that's not the whole story. There's a whole nother half called our living condition. Okay? What about your living condition? Okay? Or what are we actually experiencing in real time right now? How much of what's available to us over here from God are we actually experiencing and actively experiencing right now over here? Okay? The goal in your walk with God, church, until the day he brings you home is for these two worlds to slowly come together and your living condition to slowly and little by little line up with the legal position God has made available to us. And if it's not doing that, you're not growing in your walk with God that we would experience the grace of God in our minds and our emotions more equal to what's made available to us. Here's an example. I'll give you an example. John 14, 12. And I don't think it's on the board, but just listen to this. And this is Jesus teaching. He's in the upper room right before he's about to go to the cross, teaching his disciples. And he says this, listen. Truly I say to you, whoever believes So if that qualifies you, just lift up your hand. Whoever believes. Okay? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay? And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Okay? This isn't a suggestion. This is a promise that's been made available to whoever believes. It's yours. It is yours. It's readily available right now to every believer in this room, whoever. But I wonder how many of us are actually walking in greater works than Jesus himself did. If that's you, just raise your hand. My hand's down. Okay, there's a gap there. And a poor spirit sees that gap and is willing to proactively and aggressively lean into God and make the necessary adjustments in their life to come in to that promise as the Holy Spirit leads us in order to access that grace that's available to do the greater works of God, we have to close the gap. That's not on God, that's on us. And that's just one example out of hundreds. I mean, I'm just throwing that number out. There's a lot. So the question is, do you see your spiritual lack compared to what's been made available to you? And if you see it, does it concern you enough to take action? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This isn't just a fancy sermon title. This is who we're called to be. This is the culture we're called to represent and live in. And the way we do that is to cultivate a poor spirit. Now, can I contrast a couple ideas that are important and then we'll close? If we see how superficial and low our spiritual experience is, we see the lack compared to how much has been made available. We see it but it doesn't really move us to action. 
It's just sort of a casual observation. Uh, you know, I don't really like it. Uh, I'm not like happy about it. But, you know, there's not much I can do about it. Like it just sort of is what it is. We kind of feel bad about it, but it's not enough to take action. That's called a passive spirit. And I would say when it comes to this teaching, and I'm talking to myself, this is where we have the greatest tendency to just kind of settle in to passivity. But then there's this whole other side where we don't even see the lack, right? We don't even see the gap. But rather, you kind of sort of think like, I'm doing great spiritually. There's not really any lack there. That's actually called a proud spirit. And you're actually missing what reality is altogether. I had one punch to throw, and that's it. Okay, it's called a punch and a hug. Beloved, God's calling us into a kingdom lifestyle. It's who we're called to be, but we have to be willing to stir ourselves and shake off passivity and pride. God is calling us through this foundational beatitude to see our lack at a level that it actually creates pain in our hearts, that it's no longer acceptable. I'm actually going to change the way I live. I'm actually going to throw myself into seeking God. I'm actually going to position myself to experience more of the grace of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is our way into the kingdom. And this is the first foundation that we're going to talk about for the next eight weeks. So we want you to buckle your seatbelts. We're going somewhere as a church. But this is more than our way into the kingdom. This is actually the way of the kingdom. We have to consistently put in front of our minds how much God desires to give us. I would, let me just give you a little practical thing. In your devotion time, get one specific colored highlighter, green, red, yellow, blue, black, or white. I don't care. Black probably wouldn't work because you couldn't see it. And as you read, and as you find something like a promise or uh, like something, you're like, wow, that's not an option. God said that's mine. Then you highlight that in green. And I guarantee about five, six months down the road, your entire Bible is going to be green. And what you're doing is you're bringing yourself into an awareness of the gap. And as you see those green things, our prayer is, Holy Spirit, let my heart feel the pain connected to the gap that I have in my living condition and my legal position. I want to feel this in a way where it causes me to act. Okay, we have to do this. This might be one of the hardest of the eight Beatitudes to consistently cultivate over a long period of time, okay? It's our way into the kingdom. We have to keep it in front of our minds. And as I close, uh, Elliot, you guys got worship? Come on up. Um, So grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. Go to chapter three. I just want to read this one verse. Is this okay today? You guys good? So in the book of Philippians, and I think I referenced this last week, but it really drives this point home. The, the book of Philippians was written by a, a man named Paul. Anybody heard of Paul? He's the artist formerly known as Saul. 
Christian jokes gone wild. I say that every time. This is funny. Paul wrote it. It's likely that Paul wrote this book at the end of his Roman imprisonment. Okay? Which means it was the last of the 14 letters that Paul wrote. At the time Paul penned the book of Philippians, Paul is an old man. At this point, Paul had been walking in his apostolic calling and his apostolic anointing for years upon years upon years. He was a seasoned man of God. He had seen the Lord himself on the road to Damascus after God kicked him off his donkey and blinded him. He had direct revelation multiple times from the Lord himself, which means that the Lord Jesus himself walked up to Paul and spoke to him directly. Wow. He had this happen multiple times. Paul walked in the power of the Spirit. He had seen demonstrations of the Spirit with signs and wonders and miracles as the Holy Spirit moved through him in power to touch people around him. He'd led major revivals. He was a missionary giant. He was a seasoned man of God. He led thousands to Christ, planted multiple churches, multiple areas. He was a pastor to pastors. When a young pastor needed counsel and encouragement, they would go to Paul and he would write him letters. I mean, he he was, beloved, he was, he walked in the Spirit in a high, high capacity. He was most definitely a card-carrying member of the Jesus Club. And if anybody in history, if anybody in history had the right to settle into idol and kind of ride out his spiritual journey on cruise control, like it was Paul. He did more in his lifetime than most of us will do in four lifetimes. But in the last letter, of, our, of this old man of God named Paul, we find quite the opposite. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Throw that up there. Oh, that I may know him. I just want to know him more. I want to know him. I want to be intimate with him. I want to know his heart. I want to know his thoughts. I want to go deep into the things of God. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Are you serious, Paul? Are you serious? You're asking to know God? Because it just doesn't make much sense considering the list of things that you have done for God and with God leading up to this point. You have more God experiences under your belt than we can count. What do you mean I just want to know Him? What Paul was really demonstrating here was the first beatitude. Paul had learned the secret to a poor spirit that no matter how many times, 
I encounter his grace and his goodness. No matter how many moments of revelation, no matter how deep we go, there is always more. There is always a gap. And that gap is intended to keep us hungry and thirsty for the things of God until the day we die, like David declared, like the deer longs for water, my soul longs for the Lord. I wonder, church, can you see the gap? And if you see it, can you feel it in a way where it causes you to act? Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.